All right. Good morning, everybody. What does a loaf of bread say to a friend after doing them a favor? It's the yeast I could do. (laughs) What, What does a loaf of bread say when breaking up with his girlfriend? You deserve butter. All right. How do you spot a radical baker? They're always going against the grain. (laughs) And what did Mama Bread say to her kids? It's way past your bread time. (laughs) All right, that's it. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. (laughs) Michael Darnell, everybody. All right. Okay. I think I love bread. I don't know about you. If you're, if you're gluten intolerant, I am so sorry for your loss. I love bread. I am very, very I'm gluten intolerant. Um, but I think that the love of bread is a kingdom principle. I really do. It is a kingdom principle to love bread. Jesus, we see it all over the Bible. Jesus loved bread, right? He multiplied enough bread to feed thousands of people. Yes, there was fish involved, but there was more bread. He said, I am the bread of life. And at the Last Supper, breaking the bread, he said, this is my flesh. He, he loved bread. Jesus loved bread. Well, turns out our parable this morning is bread-related, so I just had to tell a few of those jokes. Thanks for bearing with that. Um, we are continuing our series on Matthew 13, calling it The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, and there are kingdom statements all over the New Testament, all over the mouth of Jesus, but for this series, we're, we're focusing in on Matthew 13 because he packs a bunch of them in here. We're just going through parable after parable, learning what does Jesus have to say about the kingdom of God. So our passage this morning is Matthew 13, starting in verse 33 through 35. So if you would stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So this is our passage for this morning. Last week, Dan covered the mustard seed, another very well-known parable of Jesus. Did a great job. If you missed that, please go back and listen, and you'll get a lot from it. But Jesus follows up the mustard seed parable immediately with this parable about yeast. It's a similar parable, but it's still a little different. And it gives us a bigger picture of what Jesus is trying to teach about the kingdom. And if you know, if you listened to Dan last week, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot. He is kingdom-minded, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And that raises the question, for me at least, you know, as Christians, We talk a lot about the gospel, right? Gospel means good news. What is the good news that we preach? You know, we tend to jump right to, well, Jesus died for your sins, he rose again on the third day, so that you could have your sins forgiven and have eternal life with him. But what did Jesus preach? Because Jesus didn't preach that message. His life, his ministry comes before the end result, so we didn't really know that yet. What did Jesus come to preach? What was his actual message when he was walking this earth. Well, Matthew 4, um, I'm going to read 17 in a second, but Matthew 4, we get this picture. Jesus is starting his ministry. He gets up his first sermon. He gets up in a synagogue, uh, unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, reads a passage out of Isaiah, and says that this is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Basically to say, I have fulfilled this. And then verse 17, right after it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, what? This message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, in Jesus' ministry, that was his main message. It was the kingdom. The kingdom is here. It's come near to you. And he's referencing himself. Jesus is the inauguration of the kingdom. He's basically saying, because I'm here, the kingdom of God is near you. So now for us, I don't know about you, but this, the whole idea of kingdom might seem foreign or unfamiliar to you, probably because we don't live underneath a king anymore. But the idea of a kingdom is really well known throughout the course of human history. Kings, very, very common governmental structure. So I want to point this out because just to help us to understand a little bit, they didn't function under democracy, right? A kingdom, all it basically is, is the domain of a king. If there's an area where a king has authority over it, that's his kingdom. That's all it is. So when we talk about God's kingdom, it's what domain does God have authority over? Does Jesus have authority over? That's Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so I also want to point this out because when we talk about the kingdom, Jesus' listeners early on, the vast majority of his audience were Jewish people. And for us, we may not know much about the kingdom of heaven apart from what Jesus said, but for Jewish people, they expected the kingdom of God. They knew it. They had a, a preconce- preconceived idea of what it was. And so when we look at this parable and all the rest in this chapter, it's helpful to know that the disciples and the people listening had a concept of what the kingdom of God was. So it can be helpful for us to, to learn what that is and then compare, okay, is Jesus affirming that? Or is he trying to twist and, and, and tinker with their idea of what the kingdom of heaven really is? So what did Jewish people expect the kingdom of God to be like? They expected it to come with the Messiah. A grand entrance. The Messiah, it, they believed, was going to be a political figure, a revolutionary who was going to basically come and take Israel, who was under the power of Rome. That The Messiah was going to take Israel and bring it back to an independent nation that got to function on their own again. That's what they expected. They expected an earthly reign of God through the Messiah. And so Jesus' teaching is changing that a little bit. When he teaches through these parables, he's trying to gradually tweak with the disciples' understanding of what the kingdom was. With that in mind, I want to give you one principle. We're going to get to the parable here soon, but I want to give you a principle that I've seen at work all throughout this chapter and also pretty much through all of Jesus' teachings on the kingdom. And I think that this principle will help us to understand how we can see the kingdom of heaven in our own midst as well. So the, the principle is this, if you're taking notes. God's kingdom subverts the standards of human kingdoms. Almost always. It subverts the standards of human kingdoms. And again, talking kingdoms here. Human kingdoms nowadays, that might be our government. Local, state, federal, could be, uh, could be even your workplace. There's, there's a, wherever there is authority, there is a kingdom. And God's kingdom subverts those standards, left and right. The kingdom of God doesn't work like any other kingdom that the world has ever seen. It just doesn't. That's why the disciples were so confused. You see, we have the gift of hindsight. We get to look back 
and see that we, we know the end of the story. The disciples didn't. They were living right in the middle of it. So when we look back and think, oh, these disciples are a bunch of goons. They don't understand a thing. How can they not understand what Jesus is telling them? They didn't know the end of the story, okay? So let's give them some grace. But they expected a kingdom radically different than what Jesus was preaching. So of course it didn't make sense. Jesus had to change their expectations of the kingdom so that they could see it. And Jesus needs to change ours as well, right? Because too often, I think, we expect God's kingdom just to work like other ways we've seen other kingdoms work. But if we expect God's kingdom to work like a business, like a government, if we expect God's kingdom to work according to common sense, or even like smart financial wisdom, we're going to miss the kingdom. It's not going to make any sense to us because God subverts those standards all the time. All the time. And I could go into example after example after example, but we don't have time for that today. So, um, But I just want to say I see that principle all over the place, and we're going to see it today. So back to our parable, back to the yeast. What is Jesus teaching here? The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large, it is a large batch of dough here, probably enough to feed well north of 100 people. And it's mixed in, it permeates, the NLT says it that way, it permeates the whole batch. It's a little yeast. A little yeast can completely change the nature of an entire batch of dough. So what's he saying? Jesus is telling his disciples that the kingdom has to start small. It's not going to be a grand entrance. It's not going to be a complete political overthrow. It's not going to be something that is so in-your-face obvious. It's not going to be that. It's going to be small. But in the process, it's going to be bigger than you could possibly imagine. And if we look at Jesus being the inauguration of the kingdom, that's a pretty small inauguration. I mean, think about it. What's smaller than being born in a feeding trough to a poor family? Being raised in a podunk town called Nazareth. Living in relative obscurity for 30 years. And then when you start your ministry, you pick a bunch of misfit disciples that couldn't make it for all their other rabbis. Your ministry only lasts three years. That was much shorter than all other religious figures in, in history. And then he dies the death of a criminal. What's smaller than that? By all earthly standards... By all human kingdom standards, Jesus' story should, should have ended there, and it should have been lost in history. But now we look back and we see, oh my gosh, that accomplished the salvation of the world. That literally anybody who put, puts their faith in Jesus Christ is saved. That's small beginnings, but it has radical effects on the entire world. The world didn't know what to do with Jesus. They had no idea. And these parables are proof. <laughs> they were confused about every single one of them because it didn't fit their own categories. So the second part of that parable says that yeast permeates the whole batch, which we can take today, I think, the, the most natural understanding is that God's kingdom permeates the whole world. It's just everywhere. God's kingdom permeates the whole world. It starts small, but it has far-reaching effect. So remember, we have hindsight. We get to look back 
and see. The, the disciples had no idea what the world was going to look like 2,000 years later. We can take that for granted. Did you know that 30, I mean, statistics are an interesting thing, right? It doesn't necessarily get into the nuance of it, but do you realize that 31% of the entire world's population carry the name Christian? That are at least aware of who Jesus was and, and carry that name. 31% of the world. Let alone, I mean, if you push that aside, the entire world's calendar is based on Jesus' life. How did we get to that? <laughs> From his story, there's no reason why his story should have continued throughout history. No reason from an earthly human wisdom standpoint. No reason at all. I want to throw a, a book plug out there. There's a book called Who Is This Man? It's by John Ortberg. Um, this book is one of my absolute favorites. He goes way into depth on basically how salvation aside, church aside, how Jesus, his movement, his followers, and his disciples following after radically shaped the world. So we can look at modern Western culture and see fingerprints left and right that are directly related to how Jesus taught and lived his life. Feminism gets into some feminism that Jesus radically affirmed women in a way that had never been seen before throughout history. And we get to reap the benefits of that whether we claim him as our savior or not. There's a lot of things in there. So if you're a reader, go read that book. It's really, really good. But the kingdom is everywhere. Jesus' influence is everywhere. I'll tell you one way that I see the kingdom of God at work is just the connection, the network of God's kingdom. The fact that if you put your faith in Christ, you are automatically invited into a family of believers, and I get to look at any single other person who puts their faith in Christ and call them my actual, literal brother or sister in Christ. That's pretty amazing. And it happens all the time. Just a few days ago, I was uh, going through Starbucks, the Starbucks drive-thru, and the barista was like, hey, what are you up to today? I'm like, oh, I'm just working. And she's like, oh, what's going on? I was like, oh, and, and I was in the process of, of doing some of the fire relief efforts. So I threw that out there. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Are you, like, wh what organization are you with? And I'm like, oh, I'm actually with Rock Creek Church up the road. And she's like, oh, I go to, I forgot what church already, but <laughs> I go to this church on the street. And I'm like, I immediately have to be able to look at her. I'm like, that's so cool. You're my sister. The connection is beautiful. And constantly I see these connections randomly of, People that I know, that I know, they know someone, they know someone that I know. God's kingdom makes a big world really small. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's pretty amazing. I mean, we do these ministry leader gatherings every so often, probably once a quarter with a bunch of pastors in Boulder County. And I remember one of them I went to and I looked across the way. I'm like, what? I know that guy. <laughs> He's my old high school football coach. And I'm like, what's he doing in this room? And so I, 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 he didn't really remember me, but I went up and talked to him afterwards and got to know, I was like, he's a, he's a really strong believer. He's been leading FCA for I don't know how many years. And I completely missed it because back in high school uh, or back when I was doing football, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian. Back when he was my coach, I didn't know Jesus. <laughs> and now I'm sitting in this room with this guy more than 10 years later. It, it just, it's amazing how God's kingdom works. And another great example of that recently is our connection with Serve 6-8 as we've shared with you with this whole fire relief effort. So we, because of the fires, we see God's kingdom mobilize and God connect the right people for the right circumstances for the right mission. The fact that we got connected to Serve 6-8 has nothing to do with us. 
it was a connection of a connection, and then we got connected with City Church in North Boulder. It's been amazing to see all these new brothers and sisters of Christ that I did not know previously come together and work for a common goal, a common purpose. That's one major way where I see the kingdom of God work. It's amazing. It's everywhere, though. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in Boulder County, and it's so easy to fall into the mindset of, wow, this is a pretty godless place. Statistically, most, the vast majority of Boulder County is unchurched. But the fingerprints of God are everywhere. Everywhere. And when you talk to church after church and Christians after, when you talk to all these people and you see, okay, it's not just our church. We are not alone here on this hill. There are churches all over the place that love Jesus and that are seeing him move. God's fingerprints are everywhere. I want to pause because some of you may still be sitting here being like, okay, this whole kingdom thing still doesn't make sense. How, I don't know how to live into God's kingdom if I can't see it. Like, how do I, what does it look, I mean, I can see how a government works. I can see how businesses work. I can't see the kingdom of God. How do I, how do I even interact with that? I want to take us back to our parable. And I want to point something out to you. So the NIV translation, that's the one that we read this morning or that I read that was on the screen, uses the word mixed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a batch of dough. And a lot of translations use that word, but that word isn't terribly clear in the Greek. So if you look at the Greek word there, it's actually egg krupto. Everybody say that. Egg krupto. Good? It's a cool Greek word. It's uh, phonetically, it's actually where we get down a long line of translations where we get the word encrypt. It doesn't mean encrypt like we use it, but this word could mean mixed together with something, but it could also mean, its primary meaning back in the day was to hide, to hide something. And it could be both, but you know, when, you get, when you do word studies, just to throw this out there, sometimes it's not helpful because you find all these other meanings that the word could mean and you try to inject all of that into the passage. That's not what I'm trying to do. If you actually just do a quick survey of different English translations, you see it's... it's it's not set in stone. Um, the ESV and the NASB are two very popular English translations. Both of them translate this word, hid. It's like the yeast that a woman took and hid into a batch of dough, and it permeated everything. And this parallels well with the rest of our passage in verse 35. I'll read that in a second. But it gives us this idea that there's a, de- a degree to which the kingdom of heaven is hidden. It is. It's hidden. It's not in plain sight. So if you are confused or feel like, I don't know how to live into something that I can't see, you're not alone, and it's intentional. (laughs) God set it up that way. It's intentionally hidden, and that's why the disciples didn't get it either. So if we look back at verse 34 and 35, it says, right after he says this parable, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. It parallels pretty well. Hidden. Tanner was uh, taking some of my speaking points this morning. He mentioned this basically. But Jesus spoke in parables for two reasons. He, He did it to reveal but also to conceal. There's a purpose behind his parables, and it did did both. He used them to teach. He also used them to intentionally conceal 
truths about the kingdom. There's a proverb, Proverbs 25, 2, one of, um, one of Solomon's one-liners. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. There's a level of when we search for something, there's glory in that. There's power in having to go through a search. So hear it this way. God doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. If you, if you start teaching, okay, well, God's hiding things from people, and only a specific group of people have the secret knowledge, right? That's where you get into cults and heresies and Gnosticism and a whole bunch of stuff. God doesn't hide things from us. He hides them for us to find, to discover. Think about school, for example. This is a great example. If you just give kids the right answers to all of their questions, what are they going to learn? At best, they're going to learn some trivia answers. If I go to Teddy, my five-year-old, and say, hey, Teddy, if you ever see a problem on a math test, he's five, he's not seeing anything close to this yet, but if you see 10 times 10, the answer is 100. Just remember that. that. You don't need to know anything else. That's the answer. He's not learning math. He's just learning a truth statement. Same thing with reading. If you, if you read out loud to your kids all the time and you never teach them how to read, they miss out on the joy of being able to search and discover on their own, right? If Jesus came out and just started teaching, this is exactly what the kingdom of God is like. The disciples may have walked away with some knowledge about the kingdom, but they would not have been able to understand what the kingdom was like and how it worked. The parables are this beautiful mix of teaching, but also concealing. The disciples left confused all the time. All the time. And the beauty of that is that, I think about it this way, I mean, the amount of time that the staff and elders and you know, people that I've been talking to throughout the series, the amount of time we've devoted just to talking about a simple parable and coming at it from this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle, it's, it's beautiful. Because Jesus didn't explain all of his parables. He explained a few. or I mean, he, he might have explained them all, but we don't have them. So there's some mystery to it that we still get to discover. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 10. Paul says this. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. See? Subverts the standards of human kingdoms. It's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So God absolutely hid things. And I think he still has hidden things for us to find. I'll give you a big example, just to nerd out about church history and, and the course of God's plan unfolding. Colossians 1 gives us this glimpse. Paul also writes this. He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches, of glory of, the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. 
And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. You see, that was a massive, massive shift in God's story. That the riches and glory of God are also for the Gentiles, not just for the Jewish people. That Christ lives in the Gentiles as well, who put their faith in him, not just the Jewish people. Jesus never taught that. You realize that? Jesus never taught that. He left it for his disciples to figure out, to discover. If you know the story in Acts, I'll paraphrase it, but Peter has this, he's overcome by this trance, this vision, right, of a blanket being let down with a bunch of animals, and a voice from heaven says, go and eat. And he's like, well, I'm Jewish. That's not kosher. I can't do that. God says, don't call anything unclean that I have said is clean. Well, eventually, he he garners the meaning of that. It's not about food. It's about the Gentiles. And he he has to take it back to the rest of the disciples. They have counsels about this thing in the book of Acts, figuring out, okay, God is revealing to us that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. But then they had to figure it all out. Like it, we can blow past that story very quickly, but the amount of real time that had to happen for them to figure that out, and the amount of times you've seen the book of Acts where they say, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit, they had to discover things. And if we walk through this life thinking that we have nothing to actually search for or work hard to discover, we're gonna miss the kingdom of God. It's not in plain sight, and we shouldn't expect it to be. We should expect to have to dig into Scripture, dig into prayer, dig into Christian community to figure out what is God trying to teach us? Where is he trying to move us? Where is he moving? God hides things for us to find, and the journey and the adventure because of that is amazing. So the first step to actually living into the kingdom is to search for it. Dan quoted this passage last week, Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say think first about it. Seek, search for it. That takes an intentionality and a work to go search for something, to find it. He's not gonna hide it from you. Plenty, Plenty of instances we see the Bible say, hey, seek and you will find God's going to show it to you, but if you seek for it, that's how you get there. He's not just going to give it to you, point blank, just a, a, I don't know, piece of knowledge from the sky, randomly. He might, but it's not typically how he works. We have to search for his kingdom. So I want to take that for church, for example, because unfortunately in America, we, we, we too easily get into this rhythm of, I come to church on Sunday mornings, and I sing some songs, and I listen to a good message, and then I go home. And I feel good because I went to church and I interacted with God's people and I sang songs and I learned something. But if we do that and go back into our life and it does not change our daily routines at all, if we don't go back into our daily life and actually start looking for where God is working, seeking his kingdom, applying the words that we learn, reading the Bible on our own, praying on our own, if we don't do that, it's like we're expecting God to give us the answers to a test. probably not going to do that because he wants you to grow. He wants you to learn and discover how does God's kingdom actually work. So I want to encourage you when you come this morning, when you you leave today, 
don't leave these words, don't leave these passages of scripture, don't leave the truths that we sing about, don't leave them here. Take them with you into your week. Seek to apply them. Get in your Bibles. Pray. That sounds cliche, but God gave us his word right here. If you don't know what God's will for your life is, start here. It takes work. Look for the kingdom and walk in obedience. Obey what he tells you. I say this because I don't want you to miss the kingdom of God. I don't want you to miss the kingdom of heaven. And to be frank, a lot of Christians are completely missing it. Or maybe they're just getting the surface of it. They're not getting into the depths of what God really wants to give them. Imagine this. Imagine my wife, Manda, set up this beautiful, amazing date for us. And it's a scavenger hunt, right? She puts a note on our front door with the first clue. She's got like seven clues because that's a holy number. She's got seven clues around the house, strategically placed. She's planned the whole thing out. And the last one says, we're going to a concert to see your favorite band. And we have backstage tickets, backstage passes. And when we get to the backstage, they're going to give you a signed Gibson Les Paul custom electric guitar. (laughs) Imagine she set all of that up. She's just waiting for me to get home. But I'm so busy and stressed and I'm, I'm caught up in my daily routine. I walk in the front door. I'm answering emails or texts and I open the front door, walk right past the note. And I just go about what I normally do every day. Maybe I'm hungry, I grab a snack out of the pantry, I sit down, I interact with my kids and I go to bed that night and I miss it. She, if, if that were to happen... Man, if you need any date ideas. (laughs) Right? Go find me for that one. (laughs) If she did that, she was hiding something for me to find intentionally. The intention was for me to find that and to go on this adventure with her. I think God is doing that with us all the time. You realize God has divine appointments for you every day. They may be small, maybe, maybe there's some big ones. God never stops working. He never stops working. He, his kingdom is constantly moving and expanding and changing and morphing and moving in ways to expand his rule and reign in the hearts of men and women everywhere. So if we just caught up in our world and our kingdom and what we're doing, what we need to accomplish that day, our agenda, our desire. If we just get caught up in that, we're going to miss it. He has divine appointments for you every single day. What we need to do is to look up. One of my favorite analogies for this is, is simply, you know, we're really good at looking down at our feet. We walk through life like this, next step, next step. And it's logical, right? Put one foot in front of the other. But we need to lift our eyes up to see the broader landscape, where we're going. You realize that there is a spiritual reality around us all the time. Like we are physical creatures, but we're spiritual creatures as well. The spiritual realm is here in this room. We're in the physical realm. The spiritual realm is here as well. Are we aware of it? Are we trying to search and perceive and listen and see what God is doing in every moment of every day? 
Are we letting interruptions come? As someone who hates being interrupted, (laughs) someone who hates interruption, what would it look like if we took interruptions as a possible kingdom opportunity? Because what do interruptions do? They break you out of your routine. They break you out of your plans, out of what you had in mind. I'm not saying all interruptions are from God, but what if we just stopped for a moment and asked the question, okay, someone's calling me out of the blue and I don't have time to answer, but God, do you you need me to reach out to them? Do you need me to answer this and take this call? What What do you want to do here? I mean, that's a small example, but I'm trying to illustrate we need to search for his kingdom to not get so caught up in our realm and be aware that God is working constantly around us. So let God interrupt your day. Look for the people around you that God has given you an opportunity to speak to. Now, I pulled out my phone for that illustration for a reason. Uh, How often when we go to stores or grocery stores or coffee shops or whatnot, and when there's any lull at all, pull this thing out and just scroll through whatever it is, our notifications or text messages, this is our world. Gotta look up. I don't know if I have any more, much more to say on that, but I'm sure all of you are thinking of some scenario where you could pause and look around and, and ask the question, God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you calling me to do? How can I obey you in this situation? If you read God's word and obey the words here and look and seek for his kingdom, you're gonna understand it more and more. It may take a lot of time, but the more you understand the kingdom, the more you will be amazed at its magnificence. So will you stand? Um, we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion. Thanks. the Last Supper, the night before Jesus gave his life, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a kingdom tie-in. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As we take communion today, I just want to ask you to to prepare your hearts a little bit to to ask God, where are you missing it? What, What is getting in the way of you seeing his kingdom? What's getting in the way of you just slowing down and asking, what are you doing? And then when you're ready, come and take uh, a crack.
cracker and a cup of juice. And in this act, we remember what Jesus did fundamentally for us in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. That he broke his body, that he poured out his blood for us so we could have life anew. So when you're ready, uh, come down the side aisles and come return through the middle just to keep things organized. But we'll take communion and continue to worship. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for who you are, for your heart, for us. Thank you for your kingdom. Please, simply just help us to, to recognize where you are at work. Help, help give us pause and reminders of ways that we can slow down and simply inquire of you of what you would have for us in any given moment. So we thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for the gifts of your body and your blood. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.